0: decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome to the End It For Good podcast. I'm Christina Dent along with Mike Madison, my co-host and producer. Today's show is a great example of what I found to be almost universally true in my work with End It For Good, which is how much people who work in this space are willing to help each other. Uh, Dr. Scott McDonald is our guest today, and a friend sent me a short podcast episode that the Cato Institute had done with him on heroin-assisted treatment because my friend knew I was interested in that sort of thing. Uh, And he did such a clear job of talking about what their clinic does that I immediately thought, oh, gosh, I'd love to have him on our podcast. But there's a little bit of notoriety difference between Cato and End It For Good. So I sat on it for a couple of weeks. And then I thought, you know what? I mean, the worst that can happen is he just doesn't return my email. So uh, I got his email through another previous guest on the show who knew him and emailed him this week explaining what we do and asking if he could do an episode with us. And before the end of the day, he had replied and said he'd love to do the show. It was fine to do it on Saturday, which is the day we uh, record these episodes. Uh, and it was just another reminder to me that the people who want to see reform happen aren't trying to form an exclusive circle. We want to expand the circle because that's how reform happens and help more people on this path towards healing our world a little bit. And it's been amazing to see uh, their generosity with their time and knowledge. So Dr. McDonald, thank you for being here and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the kind uh, I- invitation. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here because Knowledge translation is very important to us, and unless we tell our story and the work that we do, uh, other people are not going to benefit from uh, our, our work.
0: Dr. McDonald has been the physician lead at Providence Crosstown Clinic since 2010 in Vancouver, which was the site of the first studies in North America to evaluate injectable treatments for opioid use disorder. He's going to explain what on earth that means in just a minute. Uh, Dr. McDonald and his team were the first physicians in the world to prescribe hydromorphone for the treatment of substance use disorder, Uh, and Crosstown is still the only clinic in North America to provide injectable diacetylmorphine, which is prescription heroin. Dr. McDonald graduated from Dalhousie University's Medical School in 1992. During his career, he's worked as a primary care physician, and his focus has been on HIV, AIDS, and addictions medicine. And he also testified in 2016 before the United States Senate Homeland Security Committee um, that was hearing alternative approaches to America's drug problems. Now, when I just read that their uh, clinic provides injectable prescription heroin for their patients, for some of our listeners, there's just this big blank spot in your mind, nothing to picture. What on earth could that possibly look like? Uh, And that's what we want to focus on today, coloring in that picture of what this kind of approach to heroin addiction looks like, because it feels very counterintuitive to give heroin to heroin addicted people. Um, so first, Dr. McDonald, did you come out of medical school supporting this uh, kind of harm reduction approach to drugs instead of just, you know, ban them all and punish people, rather sw- switch over and try to actually reduce the harms from them? Um, so, so that heroin-assisted treatment seemed like a logical step to you, or was that a journey for you?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was, it was a journey. Uh, when I left medical school, we had very little training in, in, in school on, on substance use disorders, uh, but my first job posted to Canadian Forces Base Halifax in, in the Navy. Uh, they had a need for a, a base addictions medical officer, and I volunteered to do that work and started doing some training. There uh, uh, it was mostly alcohol use disorder, but even with with alcohol, I mean, we've got good treatments, and we had a 28-day uh, uh, Rehab inpatient unit, and uh, most of our patients did very, very well. But there were still a few that did not respond to the the standard treatment uh, we continue to use, and would even uh, uh, be discharged from the military uh, before uh, without uh, stopping uh, using alcohol. So, uh, uh, as I worked through my career and uh, came to Vancouver and started. Uh, providing methadone and suboxone, the standard treatments uh, that we had at that time for opioid use disorder. It was very clear that some folks were continuing to use illicit opioids, uh, were not responding, and were at risk for irreparable harm and death and that we needed more options. And I was invited to participate as one of the physicians uh, in the first North American study called Naomi on uh, prescription heroin. Uh, That study asked the question, Is prescription heroin superior to methadone in that population that continues to use illicit opioids despite attempts at the standard oral treatment? Uh, Published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the answer was affirmative. Uh, Prescription heroin is a safe, effective treatment approach when uh, other treatments have not been effective at attracting and retaining people in care.
0: So as you kind of heard about that and as you began to see that, you really... I mean, you've worked in it for a long time now, so clearly you believe that this is a, uh, a good thing. So walk us through what heroin-assisted treatment is, uh, and let's pretend that you just sat down to an average John Doe on a park bench who doesn't know anything about heroin addiction or recovery. Give us a really basic just walkthrough of what does heroin-assisted treatment even mean. So-
1: with somebody who has opioid use disorder and is injecting opioids daily, uh, their lives can be extremely disruptive. they may be unable to work or be employed or engage with their families. And we have effective treatments in methadone and suboxone. Uh, what those treatments do is allow somebody to uh, go to their pharmacy or go to a clinic once a day, get their methadone or their, their suboxone, which then will relieve withdrawal symptoms, will relieve cravings for opioid use disorder. And we're learning that this opioid use disorder is just a chronic relapsing illness that will respond to treatment just like any chronic disease. And those traditional treatments work for most people most of the time, but not for everybody. And what we've identified is that for that, Small number of folks that continue to use despite uh, attempts at treatment, uh, offering a supervised dose of uh, prescription heroin, diamorphine, or hydromorphone will attract people in care, retain them in care so that their withdrawal uh, and cravings are, are, are met. But they're no longer then needing to access the illicit stream of opioids access with a a poisoned uh, street supply of opioids. They can get uh, some stability in their lives, reconnect with families. We've had people uh, uh, complete school programs, uh, be working, working part-time. It really can change people's lives
0: Uh, and
1: uh, uh, also benefit society uh, at large. Because when people aren't asking, asking the illicit stream of opioids, they're no longer engaged in, in criminal activity. So not only does prescription heroin is it, not only is it safe, it's more effective than the standard treatments. Uh, it reduces mortality, reduces crime, both property crime and uh, violent crime. And uh, that's why, over the last few years, this treatment approach has expanded in Canada. When we started, we were the only clinic, the only clinic in North America. There's now at least 10 clinics uh, in uh, Canada that are offering this treatment approach.
0: And we still prohibit that in the United States here. We don't allow um, that kind of treatment approach to happen. But I think that was really important, what you said about um, how it decreases the harm not just to the person who's using but to kind of their family and community around them, because so much of the uh difficulty to see that maybe some of these treatments are things we should look at is um, can be from families who have experienced just the, the grave harm of how we experience addiction when we push it into um, kind of illicit supply and all of the harms of you know people chasing pills or chasing heroin, you know, all day long. And the, like you said, the property crime, all those things that come with that. And your program is allowing people to access what they want, access the thing that they're trying to get without all of those other societal harms. Is that right?
1: Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, I'll give you an example. One, one of my patients uh, had uh, been using for many, many years and when he came into our family study and he, he's given me permission to tell this story uh, he had been in and out of jail over two hundred times and since he's been in our program he has not been back to jail uh, and he continues to uh, attend our program uh, on a daily basis and uh, I, I see that as a huge success story
0: so what what do people let's say they want to be part of your program? So walk us through what would a day in the life of somebody who's part of your program look like uh,
1: so uh, we we began as a study, and uh, in the study, our folks had to be using for at least five years uh, they had been used injecting regularly for the last year meet uh, criteria for severe opioid use disorder and have had consequences. Uh, of their uh, injection opioid use, whether that be medical, uh, psychological, or uh, uh, social, Uh, and they had to be at least 19 years of age. Uh, Using that criteria, we selected people who had been using on average for 15 years and had 11 attempts uh, at at treatment. So uh, uh, I guess that tells us us that our uh, our study did recruit people that were appropriate for this uh, treatment, But uh, as we uh, expand into a program here in British Columbia, it's clear that waiting 15 years and 11 tenths uh, at treatment is uh, setting the bar too high. So uh, at at this point, uh, the criteria for coming into uh, this this treatment, uh, you need to have tried uh, the other treatments or not been engaged uh, on the other treatments. But ultimately, it's a decision between... uh, a uh, physician and the, and the patient what is uh, appropriate uh, care for them. Uh, and uh, uh, unfortunately, our wait list uh, for injectables here in, in Vancouver is uh, you know, 400 to 500 people. So we're just not able to, to meet all of the, uh, the need at this point.
0: And do they take the substances home or are they using them on site?
1: All our uh, doses are uh, administered on site, supervised by uh, our, our medical staff, basically uh, uh, a nurse, uh, and there's, there's no take homes uh, at this time. And that's the model that's been used uh, in in Switzerland uh, for a quarter of a century, and the model that's been uh, adapted here in in Canada and in several other countries in Europe, including uh, Denmark, uh, Germany, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Spain. There's been a, uh, a small take-home uh, prescription heroin program in uh, the United Kingdom for nearly a century, but uh, that, that, that model, the sort of take-home model of, of heroin, is very, very small and, and limited to uh, a few specialized psychiatrists.
0: And what are the results of these studies? What have you found over the last 10 years that you've been um, doing these and other places are watching what's happening? Um, what have you found?
1: Uh, that uh, well, that it's uh, it's for those folks that haven't responded to the traditional treatments. This is just another treatment approach. It's part of the continuum of care, uh, and uh, it's uh, it it may be sort of a a hospice or uh, compassionate uh, approach when when nothing else has worked. But we see that for many folks, this is just a a step to get some and then uh, they can move on to, uh, to less intensive treatment. It's not easy to come to this clinic two or three times a day. And the fact that people do is a testament to their commitment to their health and, and wanting to be well. Uh, I think we see there's probably a core of 20, 25, 25% of people that this may be a long-term uh, uh, treatment for them, maybe for many years or maybe for life. But for many people, it's an opportunity to, to get some stability, reconnect with family, and uh, move on to other things.
0: And moving on meaning they stop using, or they're using but non-problematically.
1: They they move on to other treatments, so whether uh, okay. that's methadone or Suboxone or Arcadian, and uh, they move on may move out of the, uh, the downtown area and uh, and onto. Uh, uh, more uh, environments where they're uh, they're, they're happy and, and, and want to get out of this cycle.
0: So what do you say to people who say that you're just enabling someone to continue an addiction rather than, you know, getting them off the drugs?
1: For, for people that have tried all the treatments, there's no recovery possible, and they're at risk for death. This is really a, a serious, life-threatening illness, and uh, uh this, is just one more treatment approach a way to get people into care and uh, we we see lives transformed on a uh, on a daily basis and i I think that we set a a expectation that people somehow can suddenly just stop using but we know that uh, addiction or regular use changes the receptors in the brain and we need a switch in thinking that this is a a, a moral failure or a a criminal problem to just another medical illness like diabetes or high high blood pressure, uh, and that with uh, appropriate evidence-based treatment and care, uh, people uh, can do well and, and very well.
0: Now, I'm guessing some people would say well there's you know there's lots of people out there they just don't want to stop using. they don 't want to have a better life. Uh, maybe they've been hurt by somebody in uh, addiction why does Why does this approach work? What is the um, what is it doing? What are the kind of underlying things that it's doing that are allowing you to have such great success with it
1: well, we accept people where they are at uh, we don't uh uh, we don't take punitive measures. We do, we do regular urine drug screens, uh, for example, and uh, sometimes fentanyl or uh, stimulants like cocaine and methamphetamine will show up in those urines. But we approach that from uh, uh, a place of, of curiosity and uh, wanting to keep our patients safe. So uh, we will ask them, Are you, uh, do you have an Arcan kit? Uh, are you using alone? loan? You, are you accessing the supervised consumption site where you can be observed and safe, so we know that you're not at, at risk? Uh, and uh, I think that 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 approach—that this uh, that that are meeting our our uh, patients and the folks at our clinic where they're at with uh, places—not ju- judgmental, but uh, rather caring and compassionate—creates uh, an, an environment where people feel safe and. Uh, can begin to get some some health and some recovery.
0: I love that term you used about being curious about you know what's happening. Being curious about why are you doing this? So when you know when normally when we hear somebody say you know we do drug testing, it's because if something comes up in their drug screen, they're kicked out of whatever program it is that they were in. You know, there's a very narrow um, path that they're allowed to take, and if you get off that path a little bit, then you're out. Um, and that's so different from what you are doing. And I love that concept of being curious about why um, why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing what they're doing, helping them be curious about their own lives and the possibilities. And um, I think that's such a life-giving approach to people instead of saying, if you don't meet the bar way up here, we have no place for you.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we... Uh, uh we are not at going to uh, ha- take punitive actions for people that are just exhibiting symptoms uh, of their uh, medical challenges.
0: So I looked over some of the um, your work, and you can see the warring narratives over your work if you just read the way the titles of news stories on your clinic are worded. So there is one that says, you know, how Vancouver is saving lives, and then another one says, controversial program gives prescription heroin to users to shoot up. You, know, you can feel the the stigma in that second one, it's controversial program, you know, we're shooting up. And in the first one, being able to see past, uh, you know, just the nuts and bolts to say, what are they doing? They're saving lives with this program. Uh, you've been at this work for a lot of years and you know that it works. Do you get weighed down by the negativity, by people, you um, Casting it off as just crazy.
1: Well, well uh, no. <laughs> uh, when, when we started uh, uh, 15 years ago, I would uh, I would be in rooms where I'd have I'd have uh, uh, be uh, screamed at by medical uh, professionals, and uh, uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, if if there are people here in Vancouver that that are uh, opposed to this. Uh, we don't hear it anymore and and now has Health Canada's uh, stamp of approval that this is uh, an an indicated treatment. So uh, uh, you might say that what we do is is advocacy, but uh, I think it really is just knowledge translation. I mean, if you look at the evidence, safe, it's effective, it uh, reduces uh, uh, mortality, Uh, it actually is cost-saving to society. Looking solely at the evidence, it's not controversial. Uh, any controversy is really uh, uh, fabricated uh, at, at this point. So uh, uh, I hope the, uh, I think ultimately the, fir- the, the first he- headline will uh, uh, will prevail, because uh, here in BC and I think in the US as well, uh, life expectancy is now starting to go down for the f- for the first time in uh, in since, they started, since recorded. And that's because of illicit drug overdose death. And it's time to switch from a, a war on drugs to a war on illicit drug overdose death. And that means embracing uh, treatments and treatment approaches that may have uh, seemed uh, uh, unacceptable uh, uh, a, a decade ago. But uh, current uh, regulations and laws are killing people. Uh, and there's, uh, there's an alternative approach. That will get people into care, uh, get them safe, and increase the suffering that's happening uh, uh, both in the individual and the society at large.
0: What's the biggest obstacle in more clinics offering programs like you offer?
1: Uh, well, ultimately, it's, it's stigma, and overcoming that stigma so that uh, the, the programs can be uh, funded and, and expanding. So uh, ultimately it comes down to, to funding, uh, but as long as we keep telling the story and backing it up with evidence that uh, this is both more effective than what we're currently doing and uh, uh, is more cost-effective than what we're doing. And uh, Cochrane, who's sort of the father of uh, uh, evidence-based medicine, said that uh, a inexpensive treatment cannot be cost-effective. Uh, no, if it's not delivered efficiently, uh, no matter how cheaply it can be delivered. And this treatment approach does require some cost uh, in, and, and some investment in health care. But unless we make those investments uh, and attract people into, into care, get people into care, the problem is just getting worse. More people are dying, and, and the, the expense just keeps growing.
0: And there's kind of all of those associated expenses. So even with the increased cost of um, maybe, you know, having the clinic where they can come, if you think about just that one patient who didn't get arrested 200 more times, um, all of the cost savings, societal cost savings that I think people miss, and they say, does it cost any money to give somebody treatment? And if you say yes, they say, well, we can't afford that. We're already, you know, we've spent too much already. Um, And if we can zoom out enough to say, but but we are also saving money if we're willing to reallocate those resources away from criminalizing and arresting him into providing him the treatment that actually not just helps him. But, you know, whatever he did those 200 times is not being done anymore. Um, and that's a gain for society as a whole, whether it's, you know, property crimes or it's, you know, whatever it is, you um, you know, even just possession or all of those justice involvements, all of the other ways that we're spending money right now. It's not, it's not that our current approach is free. It's very expensive to criminalize and stigmatize addiction. Um, and we're saying we can, we can shift some of that resources into treatment options like this that actually um, help people. So what do you think is the biggest step that the United States could take today uh, towards ending our overdose crisis?
1: Uh, well, w- uh, when I testified before the United States Senate Homeland Security Committee, uh, pe- physicians, clinicians uh, can be, could be put in jail for prescribing hydromorphone or diamorphine for treatment of opioid use disorder. And uh, uh, we don't want to be using opioids for pain and Uh, or starting opioids for indications that are less uh, uh, less clear but when people are injecting heroin or opioids on a daily basis uh, there is overwhelming evidence that prescribing opioids in a supervised medical setting uh, is safe and and effective Uh, so I think one of the first steps is we need to uh, allow people to access uh, treatment and i, I, I think it's uh, uh, it should be an individual liberty and up to uh, a patient and a and a physician what's appropriate care and if uh, somebody in washington could uh, uh, write write a law that for that indication in the uh, supervised medical model uh, for health authorities or states uh, that that want to pursue that, that uh, they'll be exempt from uh, prosecution.
0: And that's an important clarification, too, that you made about this. This isn't, what we're not saying is heroin clinics uh, or heroin-assisted treatment should be on every corner, and if you have hip surgery, the very first thing that we're going to put you on is to get you to the heroin-assisted treatment clinic so you can go and inject heroin three times a day. This is a treatment for people who have been resistant to other treatments, have not been able to find sobriety through other treatment methods. This isn't a an entry point into opioid use. This is a potential exit point from it and a stabilization point from it, and a keep you alive um, for people who uh, have already um, had a history of a lot of harm in their lives because of it.
1: Yes, and it's not an, e- it's not an easy treatment to take. Uh, in... In Denmark and uh, Switzerland, Germany, where this treatment approach is now integrated into the healthcare system, it's never more than 5 to 8% of the total number of people receiving oral opiate treatments like methadone and suboxone who would require this, this, this treatment. Uh, so uh, you, you, the people that w- will come to a medical setting for this treatment is, is the, the people that need it. So we, we can reassure people that people will not be going off their, their their methadone seeking uh, injectable treatment. People will will not come to a clinic like this just because they want to sample or 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 or, or, or try opioids. This uh, really is a medical setting. It's medicalizing uh, uh, opioids, and it's a safe, supervised setting uh, where uh, people can get get well and. Uh, receive the the care that they need in order to uh, recover and uh, have productive lives.
0: What makes you most hopeful towards the future of where uh, we're headed, where Vancouver is headed? What do you see that keeps you excited and hopeful about the work ahead?
1: Uh, Well, here in Vancouver and here in Canada, I I see uh, uh, sort of of interdisciplinary groups with coming together with people who lived experience, families, uh, uh, mothers and parents who have uh, uh, lost loved ones to the opioid crisis, uh, uh, prescribers and nurses and uh, people from Health Canada, people from the, the, the various provinces, and uh, with all those those voices, uh, we can make uh, uh, change that's, uh, that's effective and, and include the voices and the wishes of 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 people that have, have have lived through this and have lived experience. Uh so uh, that that's what gives me hope gives me hope that uh, uh there's now a a, a a a collective that includes voices from all all, uh, all levels and uh, that's how we'll get through this and make some change and move forward.
0: Dr. Scott McDonald with Crosstown Clinic in Vancouver. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank
1: you, Christina. Bye-bye.
0: If you'd like to read more about his work, there are numerous short videos about it. We'll post some of those on the End It For Good Facebook page. Some of our topics are easier to digest. We realize this one is a pretty big bite for most listeners, but we really want to push past the things that we're familiar with because so many people are dying and so many families are being torn apart by the destruction of what active addiction can look like without access to a legal supply. Um, and the way this approach made sense to me as I thought about whether I could support it in my own journey of changing my mind is to think about how we help people in addiction as stair steps. So our current drug policy in the United States is for uh, most people means that they must take the quantum leap from active addiction to sober and thriving in one fell swoop. But we know, we know that most people cannot make that leap all at one time. And if they try and they relapse, we know that they're far more likely to die from it because their tolerance has decreased if they've been abstinent. I hope instead that we begin to build stairs so people can get from addiction to sober one step at a time. I think that's how far more people will get there. And the very first step to that is keeping them alive. A father who lost his son to an overdose told me recently, if I could go back and I could have my son back, I would drive him three times a day to a clinic to be part of a heroin assisted treatment program for the rest of his life. If that's what it took, if I could just have him back. But that father does not have that option because we refuse to allow that here in the United States. I'm convinced that we are in deep denial about uh, what's really happening and what it's going to take for us to save more people's lives. So instead of first keeping people alive, we're willing to let more people die as we continue to cling to this hope that if we just try harder, if we just force them, we can make them take that quantum leap and then it will all be over. But that's a tragedy to me. So the the top of the stairs is a worthy goal. I'm not trying to say that it's not. But let's get them on that first step first. And that's staying alive. So how do we keep people alive? And then how can they take that next step, stabilizing their life? And then how can they take that next step, maybe finding stable housing, maybe finding a job, maybe reconnecting with family? Um, One step at a time so that they can, over time, they can get to that top Step. That's why I support heroin-assisted treatment. That's why End It For Good is able to support heroin-assisted treatment. Um, It might be a long time before we have that here. It's only going to come here um, when we are willing to publicly say we've been wrong. We want to keep more people alive. We want to have more opportunity to help them, and we cannot help them uh, if they have died and we're willing to embrace something like Dr. McDonald said, it's proven all of the research says, if you just looked at it without all of the mental stigma that we have uh, towards addiction and towards heroin, if you could just look at the research that's out there, everybody would support heroin assisted treatment, but we don't understand it that way because our vision is very clouded by what we have experienced over the last couple of years. We've been through a lot of trauma related to addiction and, Uh, heroin use and so we have a harder time seeing that there is hope and that's what we want to continue to pursue is hope for keeping people alive and then helping them have the opportunity to have a thriving life. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.